Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm Mikey Muto. And I have a dangerous mind. <laughs> Welcome to episode 162, G1 Climax Final, 1995. Ooh. Gotta love a good climax. I mean, Who you know. doesn't? Yeah. I, you, I like to think that it happens for most people once a year, but here in Japan... Strictly once a year. <laughs> but spread out over a few days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just ongoing. Mm-hmm. This is the fifth annual G1 Climax. It would take place between August 11th and August 15th, 1995, all at the Rigoku Gogugikon in Tokyo, Japan. Sumo Hall. With an attendance around 11,000 people every single night. Nice. Take it's that. Hot. Philly, <laughs> 1150. It's a much smaller tournament than it is today. Yes. I think it's eight-man eight round-robin. This year, well, there was only eight participants, uh, which they broke into two blocks of four. So they did have the block system. Uh, the A block consisted of Masahiro Chono, Rick Flair, hmm. Shiro Kashinika, and Keiji Muta. While the B block was Shinya Hasamoto, Scott Norton, Kanzuki Sasaki, and Hiroshi Tenzan. And each round robin matchup, so each block would face the other three opponents in their block. If they won, they got two points. If there was a draw, it was one point, and a loss was no points. So that's how they would determine who would move into the semifinals and finals yeah. of the. Being between the between the you know the two most point having guys yes. in each block, pretty sure that Scott Norton just showed up on a New Japan show or is about to, and I was like, that's fun to hear, but like, I have yet to watch it. Like it either, modern day, yeah, like um, yesterday as of this recording. Oh wow! Oh, and if it's not that one, then it's the next big show they have coming up. It's one of the two. I'm not sure. Exactly. Really? Yeah, but I heard him that he was going to be in one of the. Uh, like multi matches or whatever, and I was like, "Hmm, Scott Norton, weird, huh? Very interesting." Yeah, so that's a uh, kind of neat because I was wondering where Scott Norton. I know we've seen him a good amount, and well, we're about recently. to see a lot more of him after this show. We'll he starts showing up in America uh-huh. a lot more for WCW. So we'll be uh, Norton out in no play. time, exactly. But we are in Japan. We are. What deliciousness did Shane bring us this week? Well, here we are in Japan for the G1 Climax. So, as, I, as I've been doing for the last couple years now, uh, taking us on a food and beverage trip around the, the globe. I don't even remember what the last thing I brought from Japan was, but uh, I think I'm it sure was it was some, something food. I think it was some like seared tuna or something of this sort. Oh, yeah. 
Actually, yeah. No, I, good. I, I was just listening to the uh, Super J or Best of the Super Juniors or whatever the hell it was just the other day. Sounds about right. Yeah. Had some seared tuna. So yeah, we brought uh, a little cocktail this time. I looked up some signature Japanese cocktail recipes and the one at the top of the list just caught my attention because the picture of it was pretty and it sounded kind of flavorful. The show itself took place in August. This is something that seems like it would be fitting for a nice summer day. Mm -hmm. uh, Sipping on a a nice cold beverage. This one here specifically is sake with some gin, some grapefruit juice, uh, a little bit of grapefruit flavored sparkling water. It calls for fresh ground uh, ginger, but I saw you had a little sprig of ginger in the the freezer there, so I didn't actually grate it. I just took a spoon and rubbed a little bit off of there so I could get just a little sprig of ginger. I think you could use a little more so you can get that full ginger punch to it. Yeah, the ginger punch, I think, would definitely help Yeah, maybe I'll grab the microplane here in a second and top you guys (laughs) off. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, flavor-wise, it's good. The alcohol isn't too 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 strong at least not for me anyways no grapefruit uh, does a great job of uh, hiding clear liquors yeah Definitely. it calls for uh, I had to learn more than I thought I knew about sake trying to make this drink because it calls for a specific kind did it did it, did it did it was it did it call for unfiltered the cloudy stuff yes okay yeah I can't remember what That's the hell good. the word for that is though I'm not sure either I'm not a sake connoisseur but the cloudy stuff's good well it said the the cloudy stuff and then it also mentioned the clear stuff I ended up having to get the clear stuff because the cloudy kind the only one that they had was a coconut flavor oh yeah and you're like and I yeah, didn't I figure wanna... coconut and grapefruit would be the best combination it could be but then you add the ginger to the mix and you're like I don't know yeah seems like a whole you much. put the lime in the coconut you don't put the, the, the grapefruit in the coconut <laughs> no. But I mean the <laughs> shut up <laughs> makes perfect hey, sense. Hey, Harry, Harry Nielsen was just telling cheers, us how to cheers make drinks. For that joke. <laughs> yeah, ain't too bad. I'd mm-hmm. I'd make another one again just to see if it tasted better with the uh, the extra kick of, of fresh ginger. Yeah, the uh, the color is nice. It's got a spring uh, like cherry blossom vibe. It's yeah, nice the picture that pinky, pinky, caught pinky, my attention. Pinky. I mean, it, it looks all nice and beautiful with its. That is a pretty picture. Garnish of that we read grapefruit and rosemary. rosemary. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was looking for grapefruit, but apparently they're extinct right now. So, R.I.P. Grapefruit. Yeah. At least at Target. <laughs> yeah. At the one place that he went. To. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all I good. went to two places. I'd never been to Aldi's before, and I quickly realized that you have to know what's on the Aldi's uh, weekly flyer before going to Aldi's kind of. because it's a, they don't really bag. have a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's a grab bag, but there's some good there's some good stuff there. You can get some good deal. But like if you if you're got a, a shopping list, you might not be going to catching everything at Aldi's. Yeah. If you're going there and you're just like I'm going to They had no grapefruit at Aldi's. Yeah. They had oranges and lemons. They had not, no limes or grapefruits. Not so quite the same. That's the uh, the grapefruit sake cocktail. Yeah. I'm going to call it the uh, grapefruit blossom. <clears throat> We're gonna call this the almost a climax. I don't know. <laughs> right. Not quite a climax. Okay. Well, something that would happen right around the same time as this show, Dangerous Minds would be released to theaters the very next week. The whole world would be spending their most their lives. most their lives living in a gangster's paradise yes. for all of '95. <laughs> the song is 
Huge. You know, I've never seen the movie. Really? Uh, I had the Grammy nomination really? CD, and it, that song was on there. And then, of course, this song was absolutely inescapable. And then Weird Al got his hand on it and made it twice as inescapable. Thank and you. And even better. You think so? I think so. It's one of his. It's one of the best Weird Al songs, but... I agree. Uh, yeah. I would prefer just to probably listen to the Coolio version at this point in my life. I mean, I watched Coolio perform it on many an award show... I got to see you probably Weird did it Al all that. perform it live. I got to see Weird Al perform it live a couple as years well, ago. Which, if you've never seen Weird Al perform live, go. It's worth every penny. Go. It's fun as long as you don't hate him. I've seen him like I think maybe twice, and it's, it was a good it was a good time. It's worth every penny. Yep, yep. It was a, a great show. I saw Dangerous Minds opening weekend in the movie theater. I'm still like. Mine's kind of blown that Michael hasn't seen Dangerous Minds. If this feels like yeah. your kind of movie, I, I mean, mean, but it's uh, not really off the wall quirky. Yeah, but I mean, I like uh, I like plenty of serious shit. It's just one of those things where it's like, oh, do I go back and watch the movie where the, uh, the of the white teacher and the hood? <laughs> is that is that how does that hold up? I'm, I mean, you know, there's plenty of those kind of movies. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, what sure. she teaches you in this movie is life is about choices. Mm. You have a choice. You can either watch Dangerous Minds or, or you not. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I'll have to throw Dangerous Minds on sometime. There's the whole Dylan Dylan challenge as well, which you only know about if you watch Dangerous Minds. Well, don't spoil it. Yeah. No spoilers here. <laughs> it has been a while since I've seen it, but I I remember. Was the I, movie bigger than the song, or no, is the song bigger no, than the, the song? The was way bigger than the. Yeah, I mean the movie, movie was big, but the song was definitely bigger. I mean, like we said, Weird Al did a. Parody of it, and it's probably the, one the of song his song is huge. It's probably like his most famous song. Oh, it's up there with "Like a Surgeon" and "Eat It." Yeah, for sure. And then the, smells like Nirvana. Mm-hmm. The Star Wars song. Oh wow, yeah, that, that was a trip that one's tough. Seeing him perform that with a like an orchestra. That song is definitely better than the movie that he was parodying. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dangerous Minds is great. Who's the supporting cast outside of Michelle Pfeiffer? It's. I'm trying to think if there's anybody that. I don't remember anybody else. It doesn't have like a like Lauren Hill or a like other somebody that like you know ended up being more famous later. I mean, Wade Dominguez played Emilio. Courtney B. Vance. Oh yeah, he was a like a teacher or principal or something like that. Lorraine Toussaint, or Toussaint, or that, however the hell you pronounce her name. Yeah, I mean, then Michelle Pfeiffer and Courtney B. Vance were the pa- two. Paula Garces. Yeah, I don't recognize really. Was uh, one of the kids. She's gone on to be, um, she was the the hot girl in the Harold and Kumar movies. Okay. Oh, I did see the first one a few times. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer looking real good in this movie. Uh-huh. Well, I think this the movie she did right after Batman Returns. Oh, really? At least the first, the, the next big yeah. release yeah. or whatever. Oh, Danny Strong was in it. Danny Strong. He was uh, Buffy, and he's done, uh, he created Empire, the show Empire. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, Danny, I, I wasn't a Buffy guy. I mean, I, that's what I know him from, but I know he's gone on to be, like, a producer and creator of shows. Hmm. He wrote the screenplay for the Hunger Games movies. Okay. So he's, like, he's definitely moved into more of a producer-type role, even though I remember him as a 
I'm a big Buffy guy, so. Yeah, I, I, was, I, I love the Whedon verse, which I, I know think, is not the most PC thing to say. I mean, I like Firefly, and I watched, I actually have watched all of Dollhouse, believe it or not. I heard Firefly is getting picked up again? Did I, is that true? If it has, I haven't heard that. Yeah. I mean, there's been rumors that they were going to do a remake of Buffy and Firefly for a while, or a, or a legacy sequel type thing. Whatever. Firefly re- reboot coming to Disney Plus. Interesting. This article well, was from February fifteenth. I'm more excited now than I was three minutes ago. <laughs> Cause that's one of my favorite shows. Yeah, that was one. I never watched it, but I heard everybody freaking out when it stopped. Because I think it, it was, I think it like showed up and died quietly. And it's twelve. Like, hey, this it's was twelve good. episodes of excellence. Yeah, and then the movie is Fun. really good yeah. as well. Bring me some freaks and geeks, damn it! That's, that's a great one as well. Some of these shows that everybody's never made it past now. one season. That's okay. So they'd be great for the. The 90s. Yeah, they're just going to boot it and be like, Glibna Cardellini uh, died at a Grateful Dead show. <laughs> like, oh, rough. <laughs> that's upsetting. No, she can be the hot mom. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of that's, that's kind of her role. What she is. Yeah. But let's talk some G1 Climax. Let's do it. And we go straight to our first match. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, mm-hmm. versus KG Muta in an A-block match. And is this basically for the final? Because we only got a couple of matches. We don't have them all. We only have a couple of matches. No, this is from day three of okay. the tournament. At this point, Nate was sitting at three points after a time limit draw with Chono and a win over Koshinika. While Muda had defeated Chono, but had lost to Shiro, so he was only sitting at two points. Oh. So basically whoever won this match probably had a good chance of being the A-block winner. Yeah, they were definitely in the lead. Hmm. This match also got English commentary. One of the few matches on NJPW World that they've gone back and added some. Kevin Kelly and Mark Warzeka did the commentary for this. And it's tradition. When they have English commentary on one of these shows, I'm unable to watch it. <laughs> that is kind of tradition. Either, either for technical purposes or my own stupidity of clicking the wrong one. But the last time we saw Muda was at Slambury 95, episode 152. So remember yeah. that Remember that Mr. Wonderful KG Muda match ah. that we saw? I do. So the two men shake hands to begin before a feeling out process to start, including a test of strength by KG. The Nature Boy starts to work the arm of Muda before transitioning into chops that send KG to the floor to regroup. And Muda is rocking a bandage on his forehead from a previous match. Yes. Back in the ring, Flair goes right back to the arm, but Muda escapes quickly with a headlock takedown that sends the two rolling into the ropes. The two start running the ropes at this point, and Nate goes for a monkey flip, only for KG to cartwheel out of danger followed by delivering multiple drop kicks that send the Nature Boy over the ropes and to the floor. Muda then climbs to the top rope, but Flair has distanced himself to regroup before climbing back in the ring, where KG takes control with a headlock, only for Nature to make it to the corner to escape. The Nature Boy starts working over the cut on Muda's head before applying a head scissors to continue to wear down KG. 
that they roll to the ropes to break the hold. The two men start trading blows when Flair delivers a knee to the gut. But after a reversed Irish whip, Nate is back body dropped by Muda and starts laying it in on the Nature Boy. We get a Flair flip to the outside, followed by KG bringing him back in with a vertical suplex before delivering a dropkick and going up top for a missile dropkick, which Nate avoids and locks on the figure four. Bum, bum, bum. He goes for that shotgun dropkick, but just ends up kind of sentoning himself onto the mat as Nature Boy moves. Muda makes it to the ropes to break the hole, but the Nature Boy stays on the attack, working the leg with a rolling knee drop. Flair then heads up top, only for KG to meet him there, bringing Nate down with a superplex, which seems to have busted open the stitches on Muda's forehead as blood begins to stream down his face. Uh, yeah. Sure does. KG fires up with a handspring back elbow, a bulldog, body slam, and heads up top for the moonsault, only for the nature boy to avoid. Flair starts in with the rabbit punches to the forehead, causing the blood to flow even more. It's gruesome. It's getting into Muda's eyes, so he just starts swinging wildly. Flair continues with more rights and lefts for several two counts, delivers another rolling knee drop before working the leg again with a shin breaker and applying the figure four once more. But KG turns the move over, causing Nate to release the hold. The Nature Boy then goes right back to another shin breaker and looks to put the figure four on again, but Muda cradles him up. For a near fall. And Muda is completely drenched. There's a really gross part in this match, not too long before this figure four, where there's so much blood running down his face that, like, there's been enough into his mouth that he spits just, like, just pure red out of his mouth. (laughs) Just like like a blood loogie. It's really foul. (laughs) Poor guy. Hey. The two fight over a hip toss before KG transitions into a backslide for a two count, followed by Flair telegraphing a back body drop, which Muda counters into a small package for an air fall. Nate with a big chop, but it just fires up KG, who starts to stalk the Nature Boy around the ring, where he hits a back body drop, a back suplex, before going to the top rope for a moonsault for the pin. And the win. The blood awoken the awoke, awakened awoken the beast. <laughs> What's the correct word there? I believe awoken. <laughs> okay, cool. You got there. I got there with a little help from my friends. Oh, <laughs> uh, blood woke. I'm uh, excited to see this match. I would suggest uh, suggest it for sure. I mean, it's that's something that stood out over time is Flair and Muda. It's hard for them to put on a bad match. Yeah, and this one's got the, of course, extra drama of blood and it being a tournament, so the win yeah. is important. Flair's uh, here in Japan, Muda's at home, and the uh, there's a real fun spot where Muda's just covered in blood, and uh, it's I think it's after the superplex where Nate's just doing the, the bag off or whatever, and Muda just looks at him and shakes his fingers like, nah, buddy, it's fucking on. <laughs> You're not pulling. Yeah, you've, we've done this too many times. Well, we go straight to our second match. Shinya Hasamoto versus Keiji Muda in the G1 Climax Final. 
dun, dun, dun. Kind of a bummer that we don't have more of these matches because, for the most part, our eight men are guys we all like and enjoy seeing matches cool. of. Uh, but, you know, we got a Flair and a Muda, and we're going to get a Shinya and Keiji. So, if you Can't had to pick, maybe Shinya. those are the ones. It's like, it would have been nice to get a Chono match, but hey, it's Muda's year, it looks like. That's right. So, after the block matches, they did have a semifinal. And that's those, the two semifinals was Shinya had defeated Chono in that semifinal, while Muda had pinned Scott Norton to advance. Oh, that's a big oh. pin, because uh, Scott Norton's got at least 40 pounds to be nice. Absolutely. Which means Flair did not make it to the semifinal. No, because of the time limit draw that Flair and Chono had. Yeah, which still saves Flair. And that, but then oh, Chono okay. had the, the the win over Muda. They were tied in points, but uh, Chono had Chono had the win over the highest ranked person, so he would uh, he advanced mm, to the semifinal. Okay, yeah. Makes sense. So Flair didn't have a bad showing. Mm-mm. No, 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 not at all. I mean, he tied with one of the aces of the company and lost to the one that seems to be getting the push this year. So this match would begin with lots of mat work when KG would come off the ropes, ducking a roundhouse kick from Hashimoto, trying for a spinning heel kick of his own, only for Shinya to catch it and apply an ankle lock. But Muda makes the ropes. We get a dragon screw leg whip by KG and begins to work the leg of Hashimoto, including an Indian deathlock. Shinya escapes by making the ropes and rolling to the outside. But once he's back in, Muda goes for the leg immediately only for Hashimoto to block him and begin to work the arm of Keiji. I mean, the legs are the most important of uh, Shinya. He's got low center of gravity and uh, the hardest kick this side of the island. I don't know. Japan's an island. Series of them. Shinya starts up with those stiff kicks, but Keiji catches one and turns Hashimoto over into a single leg crab and more leg work. Spinning heel kick, flash elbow by Muda, followed by an ankle lock, which Shinya grabs an arm to work at the same time. I mean, obviously the crowd, super hot. This is the final. But it, I'm curious to what the crowd reaction was in the flare match, because I, since I watched it with English commentary, the crowd noise is muted. I almost went to watch the Japanese version I'm just sure it was to hot. see how the crowd with was all the, as well. like, With all the blood and... You know, Rick, it's Ric Flair's not sleepwalking through that match or anything. So, But, I mean, obviously, since this is the final, you know, these are the two of the big boys. So, I mean, these are probably the two biggest stars in New Japan at this point. Outside of, like, Chono. Chono. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like Chono's already kind of had his run. He was kind of the first of the three to get, yeah. like, a, a run that, like, cements him. Absolutely. Back to their feet, KG fires up with some headbutts and chops before delivering a handspring back elbow and a bulldog. Muda goes for a suplex, only for Hashimoto to block. So KG transitions into an octopus hold, but they fall over into the ropes. I mean, suplex and Shinya Hashimoto. It's like we're just lifting a boulder. (laughs) Shinya with throat thrusts and chops before trying for a suplex, but Muda blocks and makes it to the ropes to break the hold. Now Hashimoto doesn't care as he hits a belly-to-belly suplex and a drop kick for a two-count. 
He then starts to deliver stiff kicks and a spinning heel kick for a near fall. Shinya continues with a DDT for a two count. Tries for a northern light suplex, but Keiji counters with a DDT of his own before locking on a cross arm breaker, which Hashimoto is forced to make the ropes to break the hold. And uh, that, that spin kick right to the head. He really, uh, really catches him on uh, Muda. Muda hits a back suplex and heads up top, coming off with a missile dropkick, followed by setting Shinya on the top rope for a Frankensteiner for Pop a near City. fall. Keiji heads up top again, this time coming off with a moonsault, but Hashimoto has moved. So Muda lands on his feet, which Shinya takes him right down with a leg sweep. Uh, the Street Fighter leg sweep. He does it so well. The two start trading blows with Hashimoto getting the advantage with his kicks, followed by a jumping DDT for the pin. And no, Keiji kicks out. It is uh, wild out here, and uh, Muda is busted open again. Go, Muda, go, Muda, go. Shinya goes for a vertical suplex, but Keiji tries to block, causing Hashimoto to lose balance and drop Muda on his head Ugh. with a brain buster. Ouch. It's nasty. Which I think was a botch. Ouch. I mean, Hattori checks on him, and it's Bo. Uh, he's checking on him. Yeah. He's looking in the he's looking at the man in the eyes to see if his uh, if he got his bell rung, <laughs> which I assume he probably got his bell rung. Yeah, a little bit. Shinya then heads to the top rope, and he comes off with a diving headbutt, but Keiji rolls away to avoid. Muda then heads up top, coming off with a moonsault, but Hashimoto moves in time. <sighs> and both men are just dead on the mat. The two men finally make it back to their feet when Shinya charges at Keiji, only for Muda to leap up to hit a hurricanrana for the pin. And no! Hashimoto kicks out! Keiji goes to the top rope again, hitting the moonsault, but decides that it's not enough. I know, and he pops up for that so quick. He's just like, oh, well, I guess I gotta do a moonsault. I gotta do it quick, because he'll move. He goes and delivers a second moonsault. For the pin, and, and the, the win. win. KG Muta is your G1 Climax winner. Post-match, we get the trophies, the, the ring check. jacket, the large check. Love a large check. All given out to KG, before a smaller trophy is also given to Shinya. Followed by Hashimoto raising Muta's arm in respect. KG then takes the bike and makes a speech... But it's in Japanese, so... Hmm. I'm sure that he says, well, I tried hard. Yep. And Shinya was a nice opponent. As we fade to black. <laughs> so I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of the G1 Climax 1995? I mean, uh, both these matches uh, were great. That uh, last match was a real banger. Him having to put him away with... Uh, Two moonsaults, the guys obviously knowing each other uh, well and avoiding uh, big moves, you know, throughout the match. And then the fact that he gambled to do a second one. And if it was booked differently, Shinya could have rolled and had the win because both men were pretty sufficiently beat up. And obviously, uh, Muda has his poured blood, so uh, he looks more sympathetic uh, or to be in worse shape. It's great. The crowd is going bananas, which 
always helps. Shout out the guy in the tie-dye t-shirt that just said stop acid rain i thought that was fun and very like <laughs> 90s maybe that was a, a big uh talking point in japan at the time but i was like that's a pretty sick t-shirt but i mean uh, unfortunately shane uh had some internet issues but yes i got uh, no complaints I mean, outside like of show. i wish i had a little a couple more matches would have been nice yeah i was gonna say that's my only take really is it sounds like it was a. Uh... You know, the two matches that you guys got to watch was was great, and it just made you want a little more. Yeah, I mean, they were both solid, like, 20-ish minute matches that uh, deliver and build the way that Junior Japan does best. You got the green mist swapped out for the... Uh... The blood rain. Oh yeah, no, whatever. yeah, good, good point. Like he's not the he's not the great Muda here. He's Keiji Muda, but he still found a way to cover his face in red. <laughs> so, I think these matches are very, very good, and worth your time to watch if you enjoy good wrestling. But maybe it's because I've been spoiled a little bit by all the great matches that we usually see in Japan. But these didn't live up to the hype that I probably set in my head for when I saw, you know, a Ric Flair KG Muda match or a yeah. Shinya KG Muda match. Yes, like, for a final. I'm thinking, you know, I'm getting a ten, and I feel like, like maybe got I like got an like eight? a seven and a half, eight. Okay. Like, yeah. like I said. Really good matches. Still better than most wrestling matches. And, may, and maybe the day that I watched them... Yeah, sometimes that makes I a difference. one in the mood or whatever. Who knows? Yeah. Also, like, lack like, of literally, context with the other matches. going over the matches, I was like... That was good. These matches are really good. Yeah. But I, mean, I remember watching them going, they're good, but I don't know if I love them. When my notes are filled with exclamation points and... Uh, parentheses uh that say things like like nasty or sick i know that i had a good time watching it and uh both of these matches are littered with uh exclamation points and uh nasties and or sicks so uh on the you know on the sick and nasty scale it's both sick and nasty (laughs) good where's the smart marks at all right fuck you I think it's time we smark it up. I mean, with only two matches. It's like you put it, give it to Muda because we saw him wrestle twice. Uh, and he... Busted open. and Yeah. And yeah. we didn't see the initial head injury because he had the bandage for the flare match. So I don't know if he juiced or if it was a legit injury, but... He definitely wasn't worried about... Uh, I feel like he probably just juiced in every single match. In this one, I think that it was just so raw because they're so quick to each other that it's like, oh, well, he's just going to... Even if he took the DDT and it was like, you know, ext- as safe as can be, he probably just fucking jammed his hand into his forehead because he bled like as if it was a busted open stitch or something. So it could be stitches with a bandage and he's just like... I mean, I feel like that right definitely by the time the flare match happened, it was just stitched up and the stitches busted open. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, well, also, you know, you get eight minutes into this uh, match and uh, your blood is pumping. It's not going to take much to uh, get a good cut to. Yeah, because, I mean, the bandage stays on throughout the blood in both matches. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good uh, adhesive they've got there. But the you would assume the blood would just loosen it up at yeah. some point. 
I mean, if that's the case, that Band-Aid may be the best performer. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, they got the better, better Band-Aids in Japan. Were you surprised by Ric Flair being there? Uh, yes I and no. Ex- ex- excited. Yeah, because you just never know who's going to be in these Japanese shows sometimes. I mean, he hasn't fully fully come back to wrestling in WCW, so seeing him wrestle somewhere else made sense. It was just nice to see him not involved in a like Hogan yeah. type of situation or him to be like, you know, yeah. the the like leader of a like heel faction that is not full, where he's the biggest star, but is kind of almost like acting as manager but an active wrestler, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like a weird line where it's like, oh no, Ric Flair should just be, we all know where he should be. He should be in the like top four of WCW, but unfortunately, I mean, we purchased some stuff. He is, but when he's on the outside, it's like Hogan's like here, yeah. and I'm like it's extending my, I'm extending my arm as high as I possibly can. Yeah, and number two is like Flair. where my mouth is. Yeah, like Flair slash Vader. Yeah. So it's like, oh well, I mean, when you're a distant two. It's nice to see him over here where he can be a respected visitor that actually like, you know, and a wrestler and a wrestler. And he doesn't, he doesn't, they don't um, treat him as a joke or bury him or whatever. It's like, oh, he has a good showing against, against the guys that are the biggest stars in this country at a hot time for wrestling. So it's like still absolutely fair uh, the way that. It, he is booked for the legacy of Ric Flair and against these top stars, whereas in his hometown, in essentially kind of his home promotion, WCW isn't isn't NWA, but like it comes from that, and where he's just kind of uh, treated as a main event afterthought is maybe a way to put it. I mean, everyone's a main event afterthought in WCW. At good, this point. yeah, very good point. <laughs> That's what I was meaning by my... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, you know, yeah, in a company where everybody's an afterthought until you legitimately get into the center of the card and then people can attempt to shine a little bit. Hmm. Attempt being a signature word here. I mean, obviously, we. I think we always say this on all the Japan shows, but most disappointing is always that we don't get to see more. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame that we can't just have all, what, 16 matches. I mean, that would be a lot of show to watch, but even if we had... The finals for each A and B block would be nice. Remember how we had the show where we got almost everything and then we complained that it was yeah. too much? So I had a little bit of a caveat in there because sometimes it's like I mean, they, that's, these what were we, over that's the, what we get on the January 4th show and and we do get it, to see everything. It on can those. be a bit much. Yes. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Ric Flair had held the WCW World Heavyweight Championship for close to six months. But when a contract dispute came up, the Nature Boy took the belt and went elsewhere, leaving WCW headed into the Great American Bash on July 14, 1991, with no champion and no title. The company would place the top two contenders in Barry Windham and Lex Luger in a steel cage to determine a new champion. Lex Luger, born 1958 in Buffalo, New York, would grow up playing football, even playing in college at the University of Miami, 
before moving on to the CFL and the USFL. He would walk into the office of Championship Wrestling of Florida in 1985, where he would meet Hiro Matsuda, who would begin training Lex, allowing him to make his debut in September of 85. In 1987, Luger would make his way to Jim Crockett Promotions, where he would become a member of the Four Horsemen and win the NWA United States Heavyweight Championship for the first time. Early in 1988, Lex would turn on the Horsemen, forming a team with Barry Windham to capture the NWA World Tag Team Championship. But only a few weeks later, Windham would turn on Luger to join the Horsemen. Lex would continue his feud with the Four Horsemen, challenging Ric Flair multiple times, but never being able to get the big victory. So Luger would turn his focus back to the U.S. Championship, winning it and becoming the longest reigning champion of all time. Lex would use that reign as his way back to the World Championship scene, as he would be called upon when an injury to Sting left the Nature Boy with Adam Challenger in early 1991 but Luger would still not be able to defeat Flair for the title. Luger would become the second WCW World Heavyweight Champion after defeating Barry Windham. He would then go on to feud with Ron Simmons and Rick Steiner until his good friend would ride the waves in to face him. Next week, SummerSlam 1995. Hey, Big Four. The heat is on. Face the heat or something like that. I think it's face the heat. <laughs> I think it's the second one, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, um, yeah, Lex Luger is the U.S. champion. It's, it kind of it looks the best on him with his big old, big old American body. That's all. Something, that's all I'm thinking. Mm. You're like, I mean, that's, that's a good place for him. Yeah. I'll take him as a secondary champion or a tag champion or something like that. I'm just not crazy about him as my world champion. There's times where he's good, and there's times where uh, he is uh, not so good, and there's times where he's bad. But here uh, in like the late 80s and early 90s, he yeah. seems like he's putting in the work. Unfortunately, it doesn't stay like that forever. No, definitely no. not. I mean, you know, I remember that match with him and uh, Flair being very good. It went bad. I'm especially very good considering he'd only been wrestling for like four years or five years at the time. Music from this week's show is The Score by Emerson, Lake, and Powell. And KG Muto won our main event, so we play his theme music at the time. The Final Countdown Fuck yeah. by na, Europe. Na, 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 na. Man, that song is pretty played out at this point, but I remember when it became a th- huge thing again, I think a lot of that had to do with Arrested Development. No such... No such thing? You don't get... No such played out. Okay. All right. Now, what about Arrested Development, though? The Joe, or whatever, used that song a lot in his, like, magic act. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I think think that's kind of how it, like, got... One of the ways that it got brought back into the public consciousness. I mean, that was a long time ago, but that show's got quite a cult following. Never gone. No. My buddy used to watch this really bad early YouTube video. It was played a lot. The, the New Year's of Y2K. Oh, was it? Because, you know, it was the final countdown to Y2K mm. possibly happening and, you know, wrecking the world that we were currently, or yeah. then living in. I mean, I, I mean, obviously remember the... Prince, uh, 1999, being a big song at that point, uh, but I don't remember Final Count. I mean, the early 2000, Brian Danielson used it as his theme music as well, so. Smart. 
It is a great um, entrance theme. It very much is. But if you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate, and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. Give us five stars. Five stars or no stars. Come on, don't waste your time. Don't waste your energy being a jerk. Yeah. That's not how you should go through life. We're not, we're not going to read those. <laughs> no. If you review us and they'll give us five stars. Come on. If you have any questions, comments, concerns... Recipes, food ideas, drink ideas, something from Pennsylvania, because guess where we're going next? Pennsylvania. It, it, it is in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. But you can do those on our email at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H I S T O X. We'll talk to you next week. La 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 la